standing if you're able. And let's turn to the book of Genesis once again, Genesis 49. We'll pick up where we left off last week. We'll be looking at verses 13 to the end of the chapter, 13 to 33. Hear God's holy word, Genesis 49, beginning in verse 13. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the Almighty, the Mighty One of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your Father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, Blessings of the deep that crouches beneath. Blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. Up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said, I am to be gathered to my people Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. 
There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. There I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Last Sunday, we looked at the uh, beginning of chapter 49, where um, this dying patriarch, Jacob, is giving these blessings to his sons. And we said last week that this is not um, Jacob giving his last will and testament. This is not about him bequeathing his worldly goods uh, to his sons according to his wishes. It's not really about Jacob giving them anything. This is Jacob speaking prophetically. God's Spirit is speaking through him. This is all about God and what God is going to do in the future for these men and their offspring in the tribes of Israel. And we remember some of these brothers... uh, even in what we saw last week, some of them were chastised. Some of them were passed over. Others are given roles of leadership, uh, roles of prominence that they didn't even deserve or have any right to, even in terms of the birth order. On the other hand, all of them really, truly were blessed at least in the sense that from each of them would come these tribes that would make up the nation of Israel. And through that nation, far into the future, would come God's ultimate blessing, the greatest blessing of all, and not just for these tribes, not just for Israel, but for the whole world. And of course, I'm talking about that supreme blessing of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. So we've already seen in the first few verses that the first son was disqualified from leadership in Israel. Reuben was disqualified for his sin of sleeping with, likely raping, Bilhah, who was his father's concubine and who was also, by the way, the mother of two of Reuben's half-brothers. Awful. What a terrible thing that was. And then Simeon and Levi were the second-born and the third-born. These men, too, were disqualified. You remember what they did. They were disqualified for their of extreme anger and way over the top vengeance when they massacred the men of Shechem who were essentially helpless. They had no mercy on them. Then we saw Judah exalted. Judah was uh, 
a sinful man too. But we did see that he was beginning to show signs of repentance and, and remorse for his actions and for the kind of man he was. He was being changed. We saw a change of heart in him. You remember as he was pleading for um, the freedom of his brother Benjamin before Joseph revealed himself. Judah was willing to exchange places with Benjamin and become a slave in Egypt. Well, Judah would become the greatest of the tribes. But more importantly, most importantly of all, the line of the Messiah would come through Judah. Jesus, just before his departure, when he ascended into heaven, after he had finished his earthly work of redemption, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth belong to me. The lion of the tribe of Judah is Lord of all. He came from these humble beginnings through this little tribe of Judah. And it's promised here in this prophetic word in Genesis 49. Well, now as we continue looking at the passage, we see Jacob continuing his blessing, and he blesses Zebulun and Issachar. He says in verse 13, Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships. Zebulun got prime territory in Israel, very good territory, not quite waterfront property, but so very close to it, right there near to the Mediterranean. He had no coastal ports uh, of his own. The tribe of Zebulun did not, but they were so close to the water that they benefited from uh, international trade and became very prosperous. Then Jacob said to Issachar, Issachar is a strong donkey <laughs> crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that his resting place was good, that his land was pleasant. And then we see the negative. He bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. It seems Issachar settled in a, a very fertile part of the land. Sadly, they became forced slave laborers to the Canaanites for a time. In verses 16 and 17, Jacob spoke to Dan. He said, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider falls backward. So we see the positive and then the negative again. The positive, think about some of the figures that came from Dan. Samson, the judge Samson came from Dan. And Samson was a lot like Dan. These things that are said about Dan here. There's a positive and then there's a negative. 
Samson had so much positive going for him, such great potential, but he ended in disappointment. And the same is true of this tribe of Dan. You can read the twisted history of Dan in Judges 18. The people of Dan stole the idols of Micah and his priest, and they set up an idolatrous worship center in a city that they named Dan. And this was a terrible thing. Dan fell very far, and by that idolatry led the other tribes to fall as well. We recall Dan became a worship center that was a rival to the worship in Jerusalem during the divided kingdom. Maybe Jacob had a sense of this nasty future that lay in store for Dan. Maybe that's why he cried out in verse 18 uh, in these words, I wait for your salvation, Lord. Like a prayer for salvation. He knew God must save Dan. God must save all Israel from their sins. And I think ultimately, this is a prayer for the Messiah to come, the Savior of Israel. Then comes a word to Gad in verse 19. Just briefly, it said, Raiders shall raid Gad but he shall raid at their heels. Gad would settle in the Transjordan area, modern-day Jordan, on the other side of the Jordan River. Apparently, they were the victims of many raids by the surrounding people, but they fought back, and they had their own share of victories as well. We read of Asher. Asher's food shall be rich. And he shall yield royal delicacies. Asher would be in a rich part of the land for farming. Some of the tribes didn't have that blessing. They didn't have very many natural resources. But Asher lived right by the sea in what they called the breadbasket of Israel. Very good land right on the northern coast. Then comes a word to Naphtali. This one's very interesting. Jacob said, Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. This one's hard to interpret. Commentators don't really know what this means for sure, but Deborah and Barak won fame for Naphtali when they won that great victory over Jabin and Sisera. We read about that in Judges chapter 4. Jacob's words may have been pointing forward to that great victory over Israel's enemy, enemies that came, by the way, through the hand of a woman. And looking down at the last verse, jumping ahead a bit, Jacob said of Benjamin, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning, devouring the prey. At evening, dividing the spoil. Benjamin would be fierce and successful in battle. 
A hungry wolf is a fitting image. Many great men came from Benjamin. Think about that. The judge Ehud. King Saul, of course, came from Benjamin. His son Jonathan. And later, last but not least, the Apostle Paul came from the tribe of Benjamin. And how greatly Paul was used by the Lord. Half the New Testament, basically, was written by the Apostle Paul. Praise the Lord for this son of Benjamin. God indeed did great things through this little tribe. Let me come to Joseph in verses 22 to 26. And Joseph stood out from his brothers. He gets this great, lengthy blessing. He stood out from them in person as well. He was strikingly handsome, of course, Scripture tells us. And uh, we know he was a high-ranking, powerful uh, uh, official in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. And, and this blessing given to him stands out from the others as well. Let's hear some of these words again. Jacob speaks of how blessed Joseph was despite all the many evils and afflictions that came upon him. We read, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. What a picture of blessing that is. And Jacob says, the archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, harassed him severely. I wonder if his brothers were convicted when they heard this, because it was them who had attacked him like this. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. And the emphasis here is all on God and what God has done to bless and to protect and to prosper Joseph. So many severe trials and tribulations came upon this man, but they didn't harm him ultimately, did they? Because God was with him. God sustained him. God's blessing was the source of all Joseph's success. He's not a self-made man. It was the Lord's doing. The Lord is Joseph's help. The Lord was Joseph's shepherd and his stone, his rock. And this is true for all of us in Christ. May you know the Lord that way. May you know him as your source, your protector, your almighty strength, the one who provides and cares for you and sustains you through all your trials. Every blessing that you have or will have in the future comes from him. And it's given to you by God's grace through Jesus Christ. You know, many of you are suffering in, 
different trials, even now. Or maybe you're concerned about a family member who's suffering. We need to know that this God is our God. And he is all these things for us. And we can trust in him with all our cares. We need to do that. We need to trust in his care actively and trust your life to him and trust your needs to him. Seek his grace and help. He will sustain you. He will be your shepherd and your rock. The blessings keep uh, coming here for Joseph in verses 25 and 26. Uh, One commentator says this is like the the grand finale in a, a fireworks display. I'll just read a few words from verse 26. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, Jacob says. Up to the bounties of everlasting hills, may they be on the head of Joseph and upon the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. So for all the past blessings that Joseph had experienced, all the ways the Lord had taken care of him, sustained him, and brought him to this point, this is a prayer for even greater future blessings. All kinds of blessings, spiritual blessings, physical blessings. You know, we can all look back at our lives in the past, and we can recount countless past blessings of the Lord that he's showered upon us. And we should do that. You should do that. Remember how good the Lord has been to you in the past. I think that makes us uh, much happier when we reflect on the goodness of the Lord and how wonderful and good he's been to us in the past, we tend to be very negative and pessimistic. It's so good for us, and it'll make us happier people if we'll reflect on God's wonderful care for us in the past. You should do that. But having said that, the future is going to be far better than the past for you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ you will enjoy eternal blessings, pleasures forevermore at God's right hand, as the psalmist says. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Your future blessings are going to be amazing you belong to Jesus Christ, people. Think on those things. Meditate on those wonderful blessings God has stored up for you in heaven and in the new heavens and the new earth. And be thankful. Praise the Lord for these promises he has for us. Well, with these prophetic blessings now concluded, Jacob's done uttering these blessings, we see his final wishes uh, made clear here. Now he does uh, say what he wants. This is his will. 
beginning in verses 29 to 33. He said to them, I'm about to be gathered to my people. I'm about to die. So bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. He's saying, don't leave me here in Egypt. Don't leave my body here. When the exodus happens, I want you to take me back, take my bones back and bury me with Abraham and Sarah, with Isaac and Rebekah, with Leah. See, it's Jacob's faith that's shining forth here in these words. It's his faith in God's covenant promises. Remember, all this depends on God's promises being fulfilled, God bringing his people out of Egypt in the Exodus. It's going to be a long time into the future before that happens, more than 400 years. But he believed God's promise with all his heart. That's why he calls his sons to bury him in the promised land. And by insisting on this, he's calling his sons to believe the promise as well. That's, that's one of the beautiful things about this passage. He's calling his sons to put their faith in the Lord and in his covenant promises. Isn't that interesting? That's exactly how the patriarchs um, exercised their faith. They not only believed in the Lord themselves, but they wanted to pass on their faith to their children. And then those children then in turn passed their faith on to their children. And that's how it's supposed to work. And why wouldn't you, believer, why wouldn't you want to pass your faith on to your children and children's children when we have such a great God, a God who makes such wonderful promises to his people? And he delivers on them He's the promise keeper. He is so good. There's nothing more valuable, nothing better that we could possibly give to our children or to share with other people than to share our faith in the Lord and point others to trust in Him personally. And of course, all God's promises came true. The faith of this patriarch was justified. You know, that's why we can be so encouraged as God's people. His promises never fail. All these promises came true in the Exodus. The Exodus indeed occurred. God delivered his people. He brought the Israelites out of Egypt. He brought them into the land of Canaan, the promised land, just as he promised. And his promises have come true in a much more wonderful way for us and for the world. Jesus Christ came into the world to save us from our sins, as promised. 
And we like to talk about the promises of God. All those little books are published. Little book of God's promises. Scriptures are so full of promises that God has made and we delight to meditate on those promises and believe them and look to the Lord to fulfill them. But remember, Jesus Christ is the sum and substance of all God's promises. His promises have been fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He came to live a sinless life of perfect obedience under God's law, and He did that for us. The life that we couldn't live, He lived. And He died for us, paying the penalty for all our sins. And so now, rather than trusting in these old promises the way the saints of old had to do, we trust in Jesus the one who fulfilled all those promises. He is the promised one. And he has come. And he has done it. He has accomplished full redemption for everyone who trusts in him. So trust in him now. And always trust in him to the end. And that way you will be blessed now and forever. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word that points us to Jesus from start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation. Everything points to him. It's all about him. We pray that you would give us saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ like Jacob's dying faith. We pray that you'd give each of us strong confidence in your faithfulness that you have shown in sending your Son to provide full salvation for us. We thank you that all your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Please bless your word that we've heard. We pray that you would cause it to create faith in the hearts of those who don't have it and to cause our faith to be strengthened and to bear much fruit. And we pray it in your son's precious name. In Jesus' name, amen.